Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today's guest is Aaron Bradley, a farmer from Bostick, North Carolina. And I'm not sure if I'm saying that right or not, but North Carolina. (laughs) We're going to learn all about his grazing operation there and his marketing enterprise. And I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, a little bit more about that. It's something my wife and I are doing and it's a challenge. So finding other people who have done it and done it successfully is always a good way to learn. Um, but also, you know, he mentioned something to me, you know, prior to the call that I'm interested in is how he's, you know, trying to use it as a way to, you know, be a marketing outlet for other farmers who maybe are passionate about raising regenerative meats, but don't have the market for themselves. And I'm looking forward to digging into that. But uh, Aaron, thanks so much for joining me and, and welcome to the Herd Quitter podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, yeah, you said that right. This is, it's Bostick, North Carolina. Cool. So. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about Bostick, North Carolina, I guess maybe talk a little bit about the area that, that it is. What's your, your environment and your, uh, your, I guess, landscape and, and the, yeah, just some of the ecosystem uh, context that you've got there. So Bostick is a, it's a small town. It's kind of, it's a, it's a little mountainous. But we're really kind of getting into um, to some of the flatter parts of North Carolina. Um, so a little bit of the Piedmont, foothills. Um, I was born and raised in uh, Saluda, which is uh, kind of the first town if you're coming out of South Carolina into North Carolina, headed for the mountains up 26. Uh, so it's a little bit of a, um, of a difference from that. You know, a hill is not quite as big of a hill here as it was there. Um, but, you know, here in the eastern part of the states, you know, hills, hill, our mountains are hills to compared to a lot of other spots. So sure. Yeah. Well, well, we'll talk more, I guess, about how you manage in that environment, but, uh, I appreciate the context. I have no idea where Bostick or where a lot of, uh, the, the East coast is some of the only place in the country that I've the Eastern side of the country, really, I've really not spent much time in, um, and would love to more, but I appreciate that. Uh, talk a little bit about you, you and your family and your family's history in the, the business of agriculture and how you got to where you are today. So my wife, Nicole, and I, uh, we own and operate Colfax Creek Farm uh, and Colfax Creek Meat Company. We're both fifth generation farmers. Her her family was farming hogs in upstate New York. And my family has been farming here in Western North Carolina since 1901. We work both full time on the farm. We've got our little boy. He's about a year and a half. And uh, we've got several employees here on the farm. You know, we're we're really just involved with the day to day stuff, a little bit of everything. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's essentially going back to what previous generations did. You know, we had that gap of uh, direct marketing. So if we look back, great, great grandfather um, started the farm in 1901. Mm-hmm. He direct marketed a lot of the product when everything was, you know, when agriculture changed so much, uh, really with my grandparents and my parents' generation, everything was, you know, really just centralized. You focused on a monocultural production. And you, you didn't see your customer, you put it on a truck and, and that's essentially how everything worked. So we're, um, we're back at that direct marketing. And, and I really feel like in today's world, in my mind, it's the best way. It's the best way to farm. You know, you've got the options, you got the different systems. 
um, I, I'm very happy with that opportunity and being able to, to have a relationship with customers, to be able to see the product from, you know, the time that we're, we begin production um, until the time that the, that the product is packaged and ready for a, a retailer or wholesale consumer. So your grandfather did some of this stuff already. And then you're saying your family as well kind of went down that track of kind of commoditized agriculture or did your family stay out of that? They did. Um, they went down that track. They really got into apple production. That's what it was. Okay. And, um, you know, they had a couple little roadside stands and stuff that they would, that they would market their product to, but most of it was just wholesale. And, um, you know, I guess that's really what was normal at that point. When, when we look back at my great, great grandfather, you know, that was what the norm was for, um, for his farm and enterprise. You know, it was very diversified. They were, um, they were producing most of the stuff that they ate and their community, everybody in the community was essentially doing that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they would barter, uh, they would, they would take stuff and they would sell it to markets. And, uh, you know, it was more of, more of what we would see today, our, our focus is probably not quite as broad as what they were doing. You know, they were doing produce and milk and, and they had all sorts of different things. Um, for us, it's, it's primarily just, um, just pastured meat. So, but still kind of the same model of taking it directly to the consumer as opposed to uh, taking that product to a wholesaler and, and they distribute it out and, and take care of sales. Okay. And so when did the change kind of come back to this direct marketing and, and specifically in the transition to the meat focus as well? Was that you and, and you, your, your wife that kind of brought that in? So uh, I, I always tried to come back to the farm and my grandparents would kind of run me off, if you will, told me to go get a real job. <laughs> sure. And, uh, you know, my, gra- my grandmother, uh, it's her family that, that started the farm in 1901. And, uh, you know, she was, she was always really excited about about my, my passion with agriculture and my, my desire to do it. But she told me flat out, she's like, I, I, I don't think you're going to make any money doing this. I don't think that that, that opportunity is out there. Uh, her and my grandfather were, were doing some grass fed beef and they would direct market that at, um, at some tailgate markets, very small scale. And I saw some opportunity uh, just with the need um, and the, um, the opportunity to really scale those production models to start working with other farmers and to try to create a brand. And, you know, for my, my grandmother, you know, her, her viewpoint, she was very right to think that way because she saw the um, I guess the industri- industrialization of agriculture where it was, you know, she, she was of the generation that was told get bigger, get out, you know uh, so many other farms. I don't know how many apple orchards would have been in Saluda uh, when it was, you know, prime production, but there, there's none now. And uh, we were one of the last ones. So you didn't really see that as, as being a viable opportunity. Um, you know, my, um, we, we've got people in the, in the family that are attorneys. We got people in the family that do these other things. And so here I was trying to be a farmer and uh, she, she just thought I was crazy, but you know, we were, we were given an opportunity and uh, we farmed on my family's land for, um, for several years. We tried to find some leased land. There's a lot of, uh, uh, we're near the Tryon International Equestrian Center, which is, um, they had like the World Equestrian Games at, you know, there's a lot of money in, sure. uh, in horses and boarding horses. And, mm-hmm. and so it's hard to compete and, and you know, yeah. sell, uh, sell grass-fed beef or pastured pork and offer the same amount of money to, uh, to either lease land or to purchase land. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you can go out and make exponentially more by, um, by having that in, um, in an equestrian business. Sure. So we, uh, we ventured out once we figured out with my family, you know, it just wasn't going to be quite the land base that we would need to be able to make it work full time. A big thing was that there wasn't necessarily room to grow, um, compared to where we are here in Bostick. Uh, there's, there's just not that much of a land base that, uh, you don't have that much grazable land. Mm-hmm. There's no other pastures around. Essentially, we had my, my family's farm. And, you know, if we wanted to go somewhere else, it, it was going to be quite a ways away to uh, to be able to extend, expand our base. Um, and here in Bostick, there's a lot better opportunity for that. There's still a lot of agriculture in Rutherford County here in North Carolina. And uh, so we're able to we're able to find more lease land. We're able to grow our, our footprint here and our land base. Um you know, so we can, we, we have more opportunity to scale here and make everything work. Sure. And so in a way you're kind of a first generation farmer. I mean, you both grew up on farms, it sounds like, but you're not running on family land. You're not taking over a family operation or market. Like you've built everything you're building or everything you're doing from scratch, you and your wife. Is that right? I I laugh. I tell people we're first generation, fifth generation farmers (laughs) Um, because yeah, it, it, it is very much that way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like the thought of, of our family's legacy and, you know, my dad really appreciates that, that, um, you know, that we, we do tell people that, that we have these ties to agriculture for, for so long here in Western North Carolina. Um, but we're really, we, we're learning systems that, that it, it wasn't like there was an existing business and we just took that over. We, we have created the business of Colfax Creek Farm and Colfax Creek Meat Company really from scratch. Again, my grandparents had the grass-fed beef enterprise, but um, we've scaled that exponentially, and we've and we've added the other enterprises to it as well. Mm-hmm. So, so sort of yeah, fifth generation farmers on a first generation farm and farm business kind of. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. cool. Because you yeah, you're bringing that heritage, you're bringing that that history, but in, to a totally new new uh, context. That's really cool. That's. Uh, it's awesome because I feel like a lot of people, you know, they they feel this tie to wherever their history was. And um, going to ranching for profit school last winter, my uh, dad and I, we both kind of talked about this idea of legacy. And, and they talk a lot about how legacy is not the land. Like it's it's what your family taught you. It's what you, you know, leave as far as, you know, profitability and business and opportunity for offspring. It has nothing to do necessarily with land alone. And um, it, it, it can, but maybe it shouldn't. And so it seems like you've kept that legacy and that heritage of farming and agriculture without needing to be tied into and locked into a certain area, which I think is a, you know, a good, you know, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a scary change for us, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course I had a lot of sentimental ties to my family's farm growing up there. And, um, you know, I had, I had all the spots that I would play as a kid and, and all the memories there. And, we had that in the, in, in our mind, you know, if we move, we're going to lose our customer base and so on and so forth. And, uh, it, it was a scary change, but it was a, it was a, it was a smart move for the business. And, and I do agree, you know, I, I don't think that legacy is a land base. I think that can be part of it, but I also think that some, uh, some farmers may put themselves in a bad situation by having such a strong tie to just the land base and not giving themselves the opportunity to, uh, to really thrive elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, so before we kind of do the rest of the history and, and dig into the details of how you got to where we are today, 
maybe just give a summary of Colfax Creek Farm and, and Meat Company, the two, and kind of where they stand as, as far as today's current businesses. And then we'll kind of go back and bring us to, to the current. So Colfax Creek Farm, we're, um, we're a little over 200 acres here uh, between land that we own and what we lease. Uh, we run a grass, grass fed beef herd. Uh, we run, um, we typically keep about two, 250, about 300 hogs on the farm at a time. Um, we, um, we'll do some poultry and we'll dabble with some other enterprises. The red meat is our, um, is our, is our primary focus. I really like the diversity of, you know, laying hens and broilers and turkeys. Uh, we just added sheep to the, uh, to the farm here recently. Um, but you know, they're, they're kind of supplemental. Some of those things are, you know, we're really just kind of, it gives us something to play with. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to see. We, we really look at our land bases and, and try to figure out what, what makes the most sense um, for that land base. And then, mm-hmm. you know, in today's world with such high inputs, we're trying to pay attention to what makes the most sense for us as a business too. And so adding, taking away our laying hens, uh, we had a flock, we'd keep about a little over a thousand laying hens and, uh, you know, with grain prices and everything else, it got to a point where we're like, Hey, we can add another ruminant animal. Um, there's areas that aren't really good to graze with our, with our cattle, but we could add, add a small ruminant and, and let them come in and graze these little pockets on the farm. Yeah. So, um, so, so we, we stay dynamic with those sort of things. Again, the, the cattle and the hogs are the base, um, the real foundation of what we do here. Um, and then Colfax Creek Meat Company. So we've worked with partner farmers um, for a few years now. Last year, we, we really formalized it, formed our LLC for, for Colfax Creek Meat Company. Sure. And what that is, is we, we recruit farmers into our program based off of how they're doing things, you know, the quality of the product, but, but really especially animal welfare, uh, the land stewardship. And it's, it's, it's a really awesome feeling to find a farmer that's doing everything the right way. And they just may not be in a position or have an opportunity to market their product. Mm -hmm. And so they can't really extract out the, um, their, their inefficiencies is what they are. Uh, you know, the industrial farming model doesn't necessarily pay us to focus on animal welfare or land stewardship. You know, they want to, they want a a high quality product, but they're, they're really just looking at how, how efficient Mm -hmm. can we be in our production models? Um, how cheap can we produce it? And, and so that's their focus. So we offer farmers a brand that they can market their product out. They can market their product through and we pay them accordingly uh, to continue to, to have very high animal welfare standards and very, um, very good land stewardship to focus on doing the right things. And then they, and, and that's what they really get to do is they just focus on being farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good yeah. symbiotic relationship because for us, we need more, more supply. Um, there's, there's more and more of a demand as more and more uh, consumers become sophisticated and, and really care about where their food's being, how it's being raised, where it's coming from. They want traceability in the food system is what we're really learning. Mm-hmm. And so if we can work with other farmers and, and make a bigger change, then you know it's better for us, it's better for the farmer. Um, we, we really do try to find farmers that are going above and beyond, you know, we're not really looking for just low hanging fruit. Um, you know, a pasture hog, we're, we're not looking for something that's just thrown out there and, and fed anything or, you know, 
treated any certain way and, and you know we can just market it all the same we're, we're we're trying to find ones third party certifications are very helpful um i i won't work with a farmer that i, I wouldn't trust with just a handshake agreement but it is nice to be able to, to tell consumers especially in the food service uh side of things uh where where these chefs are really you know they they hear all sorts of stuff uh, from farms. And so when we have third-party auditors that, that come in and, and really make sure that, that things are going the way that they should be going and that, that they're doing what they say they're doing, that's a good thing to be able to provide uh, to, a, um, to a distribution company or a chef or, or any, mm-hmm. even a retail consumer, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And when you were kind of growing this, was when did you or talk about the decision-making process from deciding, you know, I, to just continue to pursue growth and your own farming operation and just kind of expanding sales as you can expand your production, find more acres, you know, add different enterprises or something versus when you decided to you know, work with other farmers and maybe scale more rapidly, but that obviously brings challenges as well. Uh, just, yeah, talk about that, that whole kind of <laughs> discussion in your mind. I'm a big believer that, you know, it, it's our duty as farmers to really kind of find our, our role, mm-hmm. um, you know, to develop an understanding for what we're good at and, and really try to uh, try to capitalize on that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is, you know, we can, we can take, um, we could take silver hot farms. So they're, they're not good at sales. They don't want to talk to people. Uh, they don't yeah. want to, they don't want to do these things, which, which is fine. Um, I'm a talker. I, I enjoy I enjoy meeting new customers and, and I enjoy working with them. I enjoy the customer service aspect, you know, working with the processors for, you know, cut sheet fabrications, all, all those sort of things. So I feel like that's our duty really to, to try to capitalize on that, to make the bigger change that we can. Um, if we have the resources available to us, the willingness and uh, the capability to be able to expand our land base and, and not sacrifice integrity or to, you know, overstock our land or any of those kind of things, then, then I, I think for us to make meaningful change that it's, it's our duty to, to continue to grow mm-hmm. uh, at a healthy pace, but, but especially where, where we're not getting to a point that we have to question integrity. We don't have to worry about, you know, are, are we, are we going to lower our standards? Are we going to, you know, are, are we going to do something that that's questionable? You know, and it, I've always said that we'll, we'll continue to grow uh, and, and we'll know when it's time to kind of cap out. Um, and at that point, we'll either, we'll either look to continue to expand, find other ways to do that, or, or we'll just say, hey, this is it. You know, we, we've done what we've done and this is about as big as we need to be. No, that's interesting. It's, I think it's, I mean, my wife and I are, are trying to do something that you're doing. It sounds like at a very small scale right now, we work with a couple local farmers and it's a challenge because I think we, and I don't know about you, but I think most producers, most farmers want to farm, want to produce. I mean, there's part of the reason the marketing or the commodity system is so wild, widely spread is because farmers prefer to be producers rather than marketers. And so, uh, you know, there's absolutely, you know, if there's somebody who's got the skill set and the desire to do it, like it sounds like you have, uh, we need more folks like you out there trying to build these systems that offer markets for those who don't have the skill set or the desire. It's a massive shortage right now, and what an amazing, um, you know, opportunity there is out there for people who have those skills. Because there's, I'm confident, no shortage of farmers who would love to produce 
well-managed, regeneratively raised meat-based products for the people who can pay them a fair price and develop a market. Yeah. I, I don't like to throw stones really at any types of farming models. You know, I, I, I do think that it seems like a lot of the farmers that I talk to that are commercial growers that are, you know, contract growers for, for large industrial brands, it seems like most of them really kind of feel trapped in a way hmm. and, and they may feel, feel like they're being taken advantage of. And so we especially don't want to create something like that with what we're doing. We don't want to do the same thing, but just, you know, choose yeah. farmers that are doing it regeneratively mm-hmm. and get them in a situation where, you know, they're, they're adding cows so that they'll have the calves or they're, they're adding, you know, sows that they'll have the piglets. And then they have to be able to, to find a way to get their money back on that. Mm-hmm. We want them to be excited about it. And we yeah. don't want it just to be established farms. We want this to be uh, young farmers that are, that are getting into farming that want to be able to purchase their own land that want to be able to, to make a career out of it. We want to offer them that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not kind of a one size fits all thing. Again, that goes back to each farm kind of doing their duty, um, you know, with, with the, uh, with the land base that they have and the resources that they have available. Yeah. But if we can be a brand that really treats the farmer well, you know, we're all in this together. And so, you know, for us, we'll, we'll get our part, but we're, we're doing, you know, part of the work the the farmers in the meat company they're doing their part of the work and they should get their fair share of it too so i I really like the idea of making bigger change not just in the way that we we view our food systems but i really want to create models that attract farmers to want to to i want to attract a model that that allows farmers to look at it as a viable career path too and they can find success in that and they can live comfortably too Mm Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? I guess, how do you, how do you determine pricing that works for you and for them? Maybe as, you know, especially when you're at a scale that I, I think that's where we struggle right now. And I'll just, you know, share our, you know, struggles to kind of get your perspective on this when you're in a marketing enterprise that maybe isn't at the scale that's moving so much that you can afford to, you know, market at a slimmer margin and offer a higher premium price to your farmers you're working with. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you, build or grow? How do you deal with that? (laughs) I guess if you're selling not much and you need a wider margin per animal to make it work, to, to have the spread there to, to justify your labor and and time and overhead in the marketing side, how do you deal with that? So, I mean, you got to know going into it, it, it's a, it's a labor of love. Uh, and, and every farmer agrees with you on that. You know, that's why we do this. Um, the meat company is the same way. You're just yeah. essentially in the meat company. We, we do sell to ourselves. That's a big thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we produce something on the farm and it is, um, it's fabricated into a food service or a retail product, then it gets, we buy that from the farm, the meat company buys it. So we're very familiar with what it feels like to be one of our farmers because we yeah. are. Mm-hmm. Um, you you got to know that the margins are slim, but you, I, I really look at it as, as success in farming and, and figuring out if it's going to work for you and, and everybody else is, is kind of working backwards. Mm-hmm. So figuring out how much you need to make, you know, what's your, what's going to make you be able to live comfortably? Uh, how can you, how can you make sure that you got food on the table and shoes for your kids and, and all the stuff, you know, if you want to go and watch a baseball game that you can afford to do those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so by working backwards, you can really figure out well, how much, how much volume do I need to move? you know, what are my margins on this? How long is it going to take me to, 
to get the product moved around. What do sales look like? You know, what, what are my margins after all my overheads taken off? What, what am I left with? Mm-hmm. And then you can figure out, is it going to work to be able to do this with volume or do I need to be focused on something that I can extract more per pound out of and, and sell less volume, you know, sure. because there's, there are chefs out there. There are chefs that we work with that they, man, they really deeply care about farmers and they want to support them and they are going to take stuff and they're super understanding. Um, they create weekly menus. They know that um, there's a lot of seasonality, especially with produce uh, that they can't get tomatoes in January. And, and so they're not going to have that on their menu. Most, most chefs that we work with are, are um, they're looking for high quality products, but they do understand that we're all kind of against this, this um, if we're, if we're looking to change, to make, meaningful change and positive change in our, in our food and farming systems, we, we have to, to meet the consumer in the middle. And so they're, they're going to look at it as how do I, how do I take baby steps in the right direction? Right. Mm -hmm. And and essentially that's what we do too. But really to, to find that customer base that is going to, going to be willing to pay you what you need to do it. You got to make sure your target audience is out there and that that customer base is large enough for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to be able to go and, and find a way to get them the product because, you know, Bostick, North Carolina doesn't have a customer base to, to support Colfax Creek farm. You know, it's just not here. Um, we're, we're, we're about the same distance from Charlotte, North Carolina, as we are Asheville, North Carolina or Greenville, South Carolina. So there, there's a, there's a lot of buying power and a lot of, mm-hmm. of, um, really sophisticated chefs in the, in this area. Um, so you got to be willing to travel. You got to get the product to them. You got to worry, you know, we, we sell, you know, across, not across the Southeast. I wouldn't say at this mm-hmm. point, we sell down to Atlanta. We sold up and across the Carolinas. Um, and hmm. to be able to make that work, you, you really, again, you kind of got to work backwards still. Sure. Am, am I making sense with all that? Yeah, no, I think so. And I want to get more into how you've figured all that. I, I definitely think I recognize where you're going with this. And I mean, um, but let's, I guess maybe now is a good time to kind of jump back into, you know, building this and figuring out how you develop these, how you came to these conclusions. Cause you started from nothing and you had to kind of figure some of these things out yourself. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you first started, you, you probably were, were you working with other farmers at the time or were you producing everything that you produced, you sold, you kind of slowly scaled your production as you scaled your marketing. I mean, talk about the early days. Uh, man, the early days, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I had the thought occasionally, you know, would I, would I do those early days again? Um, because it's certainly like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of investment that, that Nicole and I put into this to, to have to get to where we're at now. You know, and we're still very small. We're still, we're still growing, but, um, you know, the, the willingness to carry, um, carry five gallon buckets of water because we didn't have a water hose, you know, and, and taking the money that we had to, uh, to slowly just pour into the business, to be able to buy a little bit of fencing here and a little bit of fencing there. And then you can finally afford a charger for it and, and things like that. So when we first started, we didn't work with other producers at all. You know, we, we didn't have a market to be able to do that. We've really just kind of per- persistence is, is what I say is, is key in this industry, you know, being there because you can reach out to a, uh, you can reach out to a chef or you can, you can attend a farmer's market. And, you know, if you, if you're not doing well, a lot of people throw in the towel at it, 
And uh, they say, well, I got told no by a chef or I went to a farmer's market and I didn't make that much money. And I, I literally remember going to farmer's markets and it was a $5 entry fee. And uh, we, we literally didn't even make five bucks at the farmer's market sitting there for four hours. And we were like, what do we do? And we went to the same farmer's markets for, um, for more time, obviously. And, and, you know, it ended up being um, a viable market for us. So, you know, really just staying, persi staying persistent. That's not a sustainable business model to go and lose money every time. And, and you got to put a cap on it. You got to say, you know, I can only, we can only afford to lose this much and we're going to give it this much time. Mm -hmm. um, but we did sustain our business for a while, knowing that we wouldn't make money with it, knowing that we just wanted to exist as a brand, right. And have our name out there. And so when we had really inefficient systems, when we had, um, you know, we were driving 20 minutes to leased land to go and maybe load one pig and take it uh, over an hour to a processor. And, and, you know, you look at your profit margins off that, you're, you're not making any money um, by the time that we figured everything out. If we would have had to, uh, to have paid uh, an employee to do that for us, the, the business wouldn't have paid for itself. Mm -hmm. But we knew that if we wanted to have an opportunity to, to put ourselves in a position where we could grow that we had to, we just had to exist. Right. We just had to, to try to find a way to make it work. Yeah. Um, and so we did that, that, that kind of goes back to, to what I was saying the, the old days, what would I do it again? I, I don't really know. I look back and I definitely think I'm maybe stubborn enough or crazy enough that, that we just made it work. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but it's really just kind of keeping on going and, and seeing at the end of, of that very, very long tunnel, you know, they'll hopefully eventually you'll see a light. Um, we probably, well, I, I say probably, we definitely could have been uh, more creative with our business models and, and, you know, tried to, uh, to, to seek out other markets. We were going to, you know, for that farmer's market that, that I was talking about, that was a winter market. It was a slow market. We could have made the drive. We could have made a 45 minute drive and made, you know, pretty good money. And, and we just, we just didn't make those decisions. Again, we were trying to, to plant our flag in the ground and, and develop a customer base right there in our backyard. And it, we, we didn't have that realization of, you know, the, the customer base that we're going to have isn't here where we're farming. Right. Is that a little bit better of an answer? Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the market, uh, you, you kind of said where definitely where you started, um, where did things start to click? Like you said, the market, the winter market wasn't that great. You could have done some things differently. Uh, what, what did you do next that actually, I mean, took you from unprofitable to, uh, this might be a legit business we're, we're building here. Yeah. So, uh, we work with, uh, we work with, uh, a really awesome guy. I call him a friend. His name's Casey McKissick. And I remember when, uh, when we had started farming, we may have been farming for a year, year and a half. And we, we tried to reach out to some wholesale accounts. Uh, we didn't have anything clicking. And I got a hold of, uh, of Casey's number and I, you know, sent him some, sent him a text and he told us, he's like, thanks, but no thanks. We're, we're happy where we're at. And, and they didn't need any, any additional um, production. Mm -hmm. Well, Casey saved my number and reached out to me. It might've been three years later mm -hmm. and said, Hey, I don't know if you're still around, if you're still doing this, but, uh, but we could probably, probably, um, probably use you here at the yeah. restaurant. Okay. You know, they're, um, they're, they've been an amazing account. They're great people to work 
with. And I tell Katie often, he's his butcher shop, he's, he's got a really cool model where they do a uh, whole carcass utilization there in their restaurant. So but we deliver hogs to them. We're their, we're their sole pork producer. We'll take uh, whole animals to them. They break everything down. They utilize everything from the butcher shop. Things go into their case. Uh, they've got uh, multiple food trucks that they can put stuff on. They've got uh, restaurants that they can, that they can, you know, serve stuff in. So they've got outlets for all this stuff. Um, you know, three years is a long time to give up on somebody. And I thought Casey had certainly gave up on us and forgot about us as a producer. But, you know, now we take, we take Casey uh, pre COVID their, their business models changed. You know, I think so many, so many things have changed of course, since COVID, but pre COVID, you know, we were taking a hundred plus hogs to him um, annually. And that went wow. from, you know, just a phone call of, of saying no, mm-hmm. uh, Hey, we mm-hmm. don't need you. Thanks for reaching out. And, and these and chefs and, and butchers and they get reached out. People reach out to them all the time. They get more calls than we probably realize. And it's for everything. It's like, what kind of, what kind of napkins are you using in your restaurant? Like, can I come and change out your rug for you? You know, do you want to try to use these condiment dispensers? And so when they get, when they get approached by somebody, you know, we, we just need to realize they're getting approached by a lot of people. So um, things started clicking from there. It, it's a, it's a big snowball effect because mm. for one person, um, once, once you really get in, in an area and you get in with one reputable chef or butcher or restaurant owner, you know, they can, they, they talk. And, and so that's kind of the, uh, that's really what happened with us. Um, you know, Casey was able to hook us up with other folks and, and, you know, they know other people and they know other people and uh, then it really gets you going. So, and would you say that wholesale has been a big part of your growth business or how does direct marketing compare or direct to consumer, you know, compared to wholesale and your business model and what do you focus your time and your, your efforts and marketing? So we, we try to market equally to both, but we do know that, um, the partnerships that we have with, with our farmers, you know, they're, they're producing, um, you know, we're, we're doing a thousand plus hogs from them a year. And so for for us to do that, they, they're running, you know, sometimes a hundred plus sows Mm -hmm. in in a pastured model. And so they need to move volume. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that we look at it too, is it's not just what works best for us, for us to, to, to make change for our farmers, we've got to figure out, Hey, what do you, what do you need? You know, how many animals do you need to move? And then we can go and work toward finding outlets to market that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really, it varies, you know, because we want, we want to be there for a retail consumer. You know, if, uh, if, you know, parents at the farmer's market are looking to, to find a healthy protein to cook for their, for their kids for, you know, a weekday, weekday supper or, um, you know, something special on Sunday, maybe we want to be there for them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we want to be able to work with chefs and, and provide them with a, uh, with a really consistent product and a high quality product. So um, it's really finding a balance for both. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you negotiate or get the price that you need with restaurants? That's it's always been something that we've, I guess, struggled with or talked with and stuff when we throw out a price or for any wholesale account, whatever the, the, the account is. I mean, most of these guys and maybe not the ones you're working with seems like they're used to working with us foods or whatever the, you know, the big distributors are that are, you know, very low priced commodity meat. And when you're trying to bring them in or you're getting in there and trying to explain to them how your product is different and why it's worth two, three, whatever times more than the, the product they're getting from the distributor. So, um, 
scale scale yeah. helps us um, being able to, to uh, you know, instead of taking two or three hogs to a processor, you know, you know, we're taking, you know, maybe 50 or something. Sure. Okay. And so that that's helpful for us. Um, when we're the same thing with cattle, you know, we're, we're trying to trade trailer loads instead of just a couple. Yeah. Um, so that's less per head. Um, you know, when you're transporting the product back and, and you're having things fabricated to, uh, to food service specs and your case and stuff, you know, if you can make it easy on your processor, sometimes, sometimes they can work with you too. That's not typical. Um, processors know with the demand right now, especially that, 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 that there's, there's a lot of people in line. So they're fine with, um, with taking that product and saying, Hey, look, you know, th- there's kind of a happy medium. Mm-hmm. So that helps us be able to compete with price and it makes it a little bit more affordable. We're certainly nowhere near as affordable. We get stuff where you know, we get, we get butchers or chefs all the time that say, Hey, if you can sell me this for, you know, half of, of what you're selling it for wholesale, mm-hmm. that's what I pay for from Cisco or us foods or something. And so, and, and that's just not our customer, you know, we, we try to educate them. Um, but, but again, that's, that's kind of the baby step stuff that I'm, that I'm looking at is, is trying, how do we make it to where our product is as similar to what they're used to with packaging, with case sizes, with um, delivery and fulfillment methods. How do we how do we make it to where when they order from us, it's it's something that's as convenient as ordering from um, you know a large distributor, right? Uh, so if we can meet them there, if the quality of the product speaks for itself, it's got to do that. That's what I tell people is quality of product. You could preach to your blue in the face about animal welfare and you know what you're doing for the community and land land stewardship and all that, but if the product's not worth the price, it, you know they're they're going to go find a happy medium that they feel good enough about and they're going to do that. So, do you think like I'm hearing a few things here? Um, there's the story behind you know the regenerative production model, but there's convenience to them and having a good delivery and you know probably ordering system and packaging and everything that's what they're used to and what's convenient and good for them. And, and, and then there's the quality product. And so quality product, you know, that's, you can work on building a quality product. That's something you can do, but infrastructure wise and, and developing systems wise, would you say that's a pretty key big part as well behind quality of product to making this model work? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to create efficient systems. Um, you got to have the infrastructure in place to make that happen. Right. Um, and that's with the production or the, the logistics side of things too. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I honestly believe that moving animals quite often makes a huge difference in the quality of product too. Um, there's a lot of strategy that we have in place to, uh, to work on, to promote quality in the way that we move our animals, the strategic placement of water and feed and everything else. Um, and, and that's across our enterprises. But I, I do think that that's super important. Do you want to talk at all? Or maybe some of this is trade secrets or something, but do you want to talk at all about your, your uh, uh, what would you call that even, your distribution model or your, your infrastructure, what you, tools you use and things for those producers out there who might be interested in doing something like this? Yeah. Are you talking more on the actual, like the, the farming and manufacturing I would see more so on the, the marketing side, I would say. The marketing side? Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I read a, uh, or I, I listened to a podcast. It's been a couple months ago, but it was talking about the statistics that if you will just answer your phone or text <laughs> somebody back or respond to an email, 
that mm-hmm. literally puts you in like the top 14% of all sales, wow. you know? Yeah. So today's, today's world, I mean, we're so saturated. We get so many emails, we get so many texts. It's, it's like, there's something all the time yeah. that's calling our attention, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, really trying to be empathetic to your consumer in the, in the sense of, you know, that, that text that they send you, you know, you can't really, you can't really um, show emotion in a text, I guess with emojis or something like you could try, but that may be like the most important part of their day. You know, that may be what they're really, their, their plans are hinged on that. You know what I mean? And for you, it just may be another text and you're, mm-hmm. you're like, all right, well, I'm on, I'm mowing pasture. Or I'm, I'm moving cattle or something like that. Yeah. You may not be able to respond to it right then, but uh, that's uh, I, I tell people my, my cell phone is probably my most important tool on the farm. And being able to, to just respond to chefs. And honestly, uh, a lot of chefs like that, you know, if you answer the phone and they hear cows in the background <laughs> or they hear you moving pigs or they yeah. hear chickens, you're gathering eggs, you know, there's, there's a right time and a wrong time, of course. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's one of the things that they, they it's not often that they're going to complain about that. So, yeah, uh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, the next kind of question on this, this marketing and distribution side that, that is a struggle that I face. And I'm sure so many others face inventory management with these, you know, folks is most, I mean, that one pork purchaser taking whole animals in, I mean, that's gotta be a dream. Is everybody doing that, buying the whole animal and and figuring out how to market every piece of it, or how do you manage the difference? (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, so that's a big thing. It's easy to get back up on stuff, you know, people go to a restaurant and, you know, a lot of people want ribeye, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, you get a lot more ground beef than you do ribeye. Yeah, exactly. Um, you get a lot more ground product with your pork than you do fillets or, or loins. And uh, so whole carcass utilization is really easy when they buy the whole carcass, yeah. of course, <laughs> but you know, where they're figuring out what to do with it on their end, you know, we're figuring out what to do with it on our end too. Um, because we have accounts that they just want bellies, you know, or they yeah. just want, beef ribs or they just want chuck roast or, you know, uh, butts or something. And so you got to figure out what to do with everything else. I, I could sell, I don't, uh, if every hog had six bellies on it, I, th- I think, you know, I, I could run through that pretty easy. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but you got to find a way you got to, you got to be sometimes creative with it, but you just got to find a way to utilize everything. You can't outrun yourself and, and have, you know, 20,000 pounds of ground pork in the, in the freezer, uh, just to be able to keep up with bellies or to be able to keep up with your loins or rib racks or something. And the same thing with ground beef, you got to find a way to use all of it. And that's man, it's, it's hustling is really what it is. You know, that's the thing too, really that we're doing. And it goes back to what I I feel like is our duty. You know, if we want to make meaningful change is for our farmers, for example, I know what it's like to have an account that can buy whole carcass from us. And they take that. I don't have to worry about moving anything else on it. I'm not going to the farmer's market and selling a certain amount of stuff and bringing stuff back. I'm not, you know, having it fabricated into food service cuts and then selling other parts. You know, that's, that's a really easy thing for us. So in turn, you know, we're doing the same thing for our farmers where we're taking on the challenge of how do we move, you know, I could look at the numbers, but I mean, how do we, how do we move, you know, three or four times as much ground product as what we get back in certain, certain subprimals, you know, mm-hmm. how do we make it to where 
we can do that. You got to hustle. You got to reach out and you, you get told no a bunch, but you just keep reaching out and you keep looking and you keep expanding and, and you find a way to do it. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it would be easy to do that. It'd be really easy to get backed up on something and, yeah. and turn around and you're, you're looking at, you know, pallets and pallets full of, of product that you, uh, that you can't move because mm-hmm. you sold so much of something that you could. So there's no real tips or tricks. It's just call a lot of people and find, find the folks who need it's, what you got. It's just hustle. Yeah. yeah. You can okay. get it, you know, I mean, uh, if you could find a way, you know, I see people that maybe sell uh, a sausage biscuit or something at a farmer's market, you know, you could probably move a few more pounds of ground product by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really sure. it's just, it's just finding, finding somebody in need of it and mm-hmm. getting rid of it, you know? No, that, that makes sense. It's, uh, <laughs> it sure be nice if there was like, Oh, here's the trick that worked for us. We did this, but it's not that simple. <laughs> Uh, it's never well, that simple. If you, you hear what that trick is, please let me yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Uh, is there anything else on kind of the, the marketing and distribution arm that you think is worth sharing that, uh, that's been an important part of your journey for anybody who might be going down the same path? Tell your story, tell, mm-hmm. tell your story, you know, because us as farmers, that's really what people want is they want to buy from you. They want to, they want to have a face and a name that goes along with, with, what they're, what they're consuming, what they're feeding their family or themselves. And, uh, you've got a good story, no matter what it is, you know, tell your story, be honest with your customers, let them know really just, you know, I mean, it's, you, you gotta, we have to be realistic. We've got to look at our context. We've got to look at, at, you know, what's actually, what's practical for us to do. You know, this, this is a, a, what, what works for us at Colfax Creek and, and what works for us now at Colfax Creek would not have worked for us, uh, you know, maybe even three years ago. So, and it's not going to work for every farm. This model works for some people and it works really well for some people. And, and some people, you know, it's just, they're better off, you know, doing just a, uh, not a commodity production, but, but like what our farmers do, just growing for somebody else. There's a, there, there, I do think there's a lot more opportunity in that, in the production side. If you can find a brand that's willing to, to market your product for you and they're willing to pay you that fair price that you know that you need, I think there's more opportunity for that because there's more demand somewhat unifying because, you know, we're, if we're, if we're looking at, uh, again, I don't want to make it an us versus them or anything, but if you're looking at trying to compete and, and make change and, and draw more consumers into, uh, to purchasing regenerative, regenerative production models or, or, you know, purchasing from folks who are paying attention to the land and the animals and, and not greenwashing it, but really being honest about it, then, you know, you, you do have to draw some folks away from, from some of these larger companies. Um, I, I think, I, I think they just greenwash a lot of it to be honest and, and to be frank about it. So to compete with those brands, I, I think that more farmers producing for kind of uniting and, and working maybe is not necessarily a cooperative, but a similar model that, uh, that they're all pouring their efforts into, into selling uh, in that fashion, I, I think that's a, a lot better. You know, I, I, there was an article that came out and talked about um, small scale family farms aren't the answer for for changing our food system. Um, it's, it's small family farms working together and united yeah. to, to try to make a bigger difference because it's it is a if you look at, at you know who sells the most beef or who controls I don't I don't remember those statistics. You know, you hear so much throughout the day. I'm sure you could probably. It's like 80 something percent of the beef is sold by the major four companies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Something. Wild we're like competing. That. You know, th- these are, these are pretty, 
pretty substantial corporations that you're that you're trying to compete with and and it's not going to happen overnight you know it's not it's again taking baby steps over time you know that that leads to bigger change yeah and that's interesting that you kind of bring this up because i had this conversation with a couple people lately uh myself and kind of thinking on that and stuff too is for anything to scale, you have to be somewhat competitive and stuff too. I mean, selling something at three times, four times the price that they can get it maybe from a commodity thing isn't forever going to be a, you know, it's not going to be a scalable business model. And, you know, so as you, as you can scale, you can start hauling truckloads of animals, like you say, instead of two or three, and you can haul pallets of meat instead of, you know, a bed of your truck back home or something you got, and you got a freezer warehouse and all those things too. And also you're collaborating on marketing efforts instead of having five, six family farms all out there trying to do the same thing and hitting up different, you know, whatever their marketing outlets might be, you can do some collaboration, you know, that's going to be beneficial, but yeah, the challenge, I can see absolutely the opportunity in this kind of not necessarily a co-op, but cooperative working, you know, working cooperatively and collectively challenge then is ultimately, it seems like the buck needs to stop with somebody, somebody needs to be responsible for it. And if everybody's would rather be a producer, it's probably not going to be any of them. And, the, and, and <laughs> yeah, it's just a challenge. Cause I don't know if you, you feel the way too or something, but I feel like to be a good marketer, you got to really have be bought in and, and love what you do. It, it's going to be a challenge if you're just doing it for the extra money and stuff too. And um, so I don't know, there, uh, it's the whole marketing thing. It's a real challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. There's a ton of opportunity and would love to see things like this happen, but uh, you know, um, it's a challenge. It is. And I, I do agree. You got to be passionate about what you're doing. I, I, I really enjoy uh, selling our products. Mm-hmm. I enjoy developing those relationships I could make a lot more money probably selling other stuff, but I, I don't believe it'd be hard. It'd be hard to find something that I would be as passionate about as this, you know, because I, I do feel like this is meaningful work. I do feel like this, that we're making positive change. And so, you know, I, I can get behind it. I can, uh, we, we've, we've had um, folks in sales that they're like, I really don't want to do sales. And, and, you know, yeah, yeah they say, well, I did sales for this company and, you know, it was just, they asked me to maybe, you know, fudge the truth a little bit here and there and stuff. And I was like, that's the last thing I'm going to ask you to do. Like, yeah. I want you to be as excited about this as I am, because I want mm-hmm. you to believe in it yeah. and feel that good about it. And, and once they see the transparency that we offer, and once they see that, you know, we're really doing what we say we're doing, mm-hmm. we're, we're really working to make positive change. And, and, you know, the more educated that they come about, that they become about why that change is, is so desperately needed, mm-hmm. you know, they get on fire for it. And at that point, you know, they get that same excitement and, and enthusiasm and they're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, so you got a lot of people you work with, it sounds like between the farm and the marketing enterprise, talk about managing two separate businesses and all the people involved with this kind of, uh, this, this business you've built. Um, it's challenging, but it's also a lot of fun. You know, sometimes the challenge is part of the fun. Sure. Um, it really, you know, it's kind of, I, I would never say, I love the fact that we're able to, to bring people into this and let them do what they're really good at and let them shine and let them learn. Um, you know, we've got uh, Sam Baracus is, is here on our farm. And, uh, you know, Sam came from 
eastern eastern Colorado, western Kansas, and he was out there and you know working on a really large operation. They were a couple hundred thousand acres and mm. you know several thousand head of cattle. And uh, you know Sam Sam came out here and and he's so passionate about the farming systems and about land stewardship and animal welfare and all these things that you know he's out there getting to do what he wants to do and uh and it's and it's awesome to see folks in the business that are able to do things like that um for me it's it's really awesome not only to see that but to, there's so much diversity in it you know i mean we're the the day-to-day stuff can change so quickly and uh you know of course there's it, it's not always something that you want to be doing but uh but you can find a way to go and and uh really change up change up the scenery pretty quick, right? You know, you may be making deliveries and working in a freezer one day and then you're running a chainsaw and, you know, moving hogs the next day and build a fence. And so I like that, but it is, it's a challenge to, to be able to figure out, you know, the farming, you're, you're looking at systems, you're looking at production systems, you're, you're challenged with, you know, how do we take, um, how do we take this group of, of 120 pigs and, and get it to where we're not overgrazing this area We're we're, you know, improving the land by having them in this, you know, what's the, how big of an area do they need? How long can we keep them in there? What's practical for us to be able to move them in that amount of time? What's the water situation need to look like? You know, you, you get into a lot of the, the science of production of, you know, looking at certain one water uh, system compared to another and, and how that affects performance and, and rate of gain and things like that. You're looking at, you know, um, feed or custom rations. We make all of our feed here on the farm. And so that, uh, that gives us a, a challenge of figuring out, you know, what can we source you know, really what ration is going to work well for, we, we don't feed any of our cattle, you know, but, uh, but the poultry and the swine, you know, mm-hmm. they, they get full custom rations here. So it's figuring out, you know, what is a, what does a 40 pound piglet need compared to a 240 pound, uh, top hog, you know, what, what's going to give me, better growth rates with that smaller piglet and higher protein percentages. And, you know, what's going to give me a better meat quality with, with the hog, um, with the cattle, you know, it's, it's looking at soil science and figuring out cover cropping and grazing those cover crops. And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm a big Gabe Brown fan. Uh, so, you know, his, his book dirt to soil, he talks about really cover cropping to figure out, you know, what are you trying to do? Are you looking at water retention? Are you looking at improving organic matter? So all these different things you can see as I'm bouncing around all over the place here, that's, that's what I love so much about it is, is, um, you know, on the farming side, there's so much, so many challenges of their own. When you're looking at the meat company side, it's, it's got its own challenges. It's, you know, really finding systems that allow you to track inventory, to rotate inventory. You're looking at supply chain management. Um, you're communicating with, with processors and, and, you know, you're, you're talking, about NAMP codes and, you know, fabrication for a certain chef and consistency of fabrication and your packaging, you know, you're looking at what's your, what's your target hot carcass weight going to be for your yield, you know, to give you the, the maximum, maximum profitability, you know, how long do you have that you can get this before you start losing money on it? You know, all, all these kind of things are, are their own sort of challenges. Sure. So, and again, back backing up to, you know, our role in it, in my role specifically is, you know, my job is in this business to find the right people to do these jobs and to oversee everything, uh, to be a visionary, to move us, you know, as, as we continue to, to expand and grow in the future. 
but I also really get to kind of be a part of part of all of it and, mm-hmm. and hire in people that are smarter than I am, mm-hmm. that are doing a better job than I am. And I get to learn from them. I get to kind of show them and, and really get them on fire about, uh, about what we're doing and, you know, the movement and the change that we're making. And then I get to go out there and, and see how they've improved the systems, you know, that I, I got to a point that I capped out, yeah. um, you know, and said, Hey, this, this is where I need help with this. I need to hire in somebody to oversee this enterprise or this part of our business. And then they take it and I go back to them, you know, as they've, they've really taken ownership in it. And I get to see like, wow, this is really cool. You know, you mm-hmm. added these, these things, or you changed this stuff around and, you know, you learned this about, you know, about a certain enterprise and, and how it affects growth rate or quality or something. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you're hiring those people, are there specific things you're looking for? Man, it's, um, yeah, we do a pretty thorough hiring process, I feel like. Um, and we've, you know, in the past, we've been like, man, if you could show up and fog up a mirror, <laughs> we'll take you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, the, that's part of the whole, the whole growth dynamic is figuring out, you know, what can you do? What can you do well? At what point do you need help? Um, I think bad help is worse than no help. Um, so we, we try to be really thorough with our, um, with our hiring process and, and getting people in and making sure that they have the right, right mindset and that, um, that we align with our philosophies and that we're, um, you know, they're going to contribute not just to the business, but to, to making change, you know, and that they believe it. Cause that's, you know, I, I want employees to be excited about what they're doing and for that to happen, they gotta, they gotta believe that it, that it is, you know, positive work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And are those things that you can, I mean, it's, it's what something I've always heard people talk about when hiring. It's like, you know, that look more at the character or the, you know, the ambition or the drive of the person, not the skill set. I mean, you can train skill sets. Can you train in passion about your passion about what you're doing and things, or, you know, are you looking more at the character and whatnot? I think that there's a big lack of education with why uh, we, we, you know, why, we need change in our food and farming systems. And so I feel like employees, when they come in, they may be interested in agriculture and they may want to farm, but they don't necessarily understand, you know, that, Hey, we're, we're not just being a farm. We're really trying to be a movement. Um, so yeah, I do feel like the more that they, the more that they understand it uh, about it, the, that that can be something that they catch on when they see the whole thing work. Sure. And it is, it is fun. I see that excitement with our employees mm-hmm. where they're able to, to see, if we're having, you know, if we, if we're calving on the farm, that, that calf is, is going to go through our beef program and, uh, you know, that'll be delivered to a consumer. Right. So they're seeing the full circle stuff. So that, that's one of the things that they get excited about, but really just, yeah, character. I mean, that is, that does outweigh, you can teach certain people, you know, the, the right people with the right mindset that want to come in and that are ambitious and they want to learn, you know, you can certainly teach them skill sets. One thing that we kind of do too is, you know, when, when folks come in, uh, we work with them for maybe even a couple months and then really figure out what they're passionate about, what they're good at and, you know, what, what the business needs, but also like, where can they, where can they be in our business? Um, that's going to make them happy with what they're doing. That's going to, that's going to contribute to the business and, and, and really find that spot for them. Right. Um, we're not necessarily writing a job description built around them but we're, we're 
in a sense, changing job descriptions to fit, you know, and, and, and work well for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. And it's, it's neat to hear. And I apologize if it wasn't what you maybe expected to talk about so much too much today, but we don't, I don't talk to too many farms that have as many employees and that are kind of like have the, all farms are a business, but are, you know, you have a, a, a real business, it sounds like, and you're managing it. Uh, you're managing people, you're managing markets, you're managing inventory, you're managing, you know, infrastructure, all this different stuff that is is uncommon for a lot of farmers. So I appreciate you talking about this a little bit. And we're already over an hour here. So we may have to get, get you back on another time to talk more on your production models, talk more on, you know, your grazing of, of cattle, poultry and, and hogs and whatnot. I, I think that would be a really interesting topic to talk about too, but uh, kind of at least now, as we wrap up a little bit of the talk on this uh, marketing end, um, the business you know side of this whole this whole farm business that you built, are there any final thoughts or things that you you would want to share with somebody who might be interested and in, like wants to do what you're doing? Yeah, so uh, we talk about employees. You know, we're 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 a very small business when it comes to that. You know, we're all kind of uh, diving in. We've got with part time and everything, we've probably got maybe ten employees. You know, so we're we're not managing. You know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Will Harris and I hear I'm talking yeah. about maybe 180 employees and yeah, you know, we, we, yeah. we don't have that. We're not there yet, but um, still, you know, in a, in a sense, you are kind of working with your processor almost as, mm-hmm. as somewhat of an employee, you know, and it, it's a partnership is really what it is. But, you know, really it's, it's, it's kind of the things that I think folks that are wanting to do what we're doing is really kind of working backwards, you know, and, and just being, again, just being realistic about it for us, we're in an oper- we're in a unique opportunity or in, an, in a unique area where, you know, we're close enough to these markets that we can, you know, find, we can find, a, and there's, there's probably several hundred restaurants within a four hour drive uh, in, in, you know, multiple directions that are purchasing from farms like us that, that are looking for that kind of product. We're in a really good spot for um, for consumers that that are wanting it at a farmer's market, right? And so working backwards again is kind of a really important thing that I feel like folks need to do and figuring out, you know, if you have, if you only have the land base to produce a certain amount, you know, produce something that you can make the margins that you need off of it, a specialized niche product that you can make and, and that you can have. And you can make those same profit margins. Um, you know, for us, it's really trying to, to look again at how do we grow? I won't say as big as we can, but I, I'm very incentivized to grow because I know that the bigger that we grow, the more change that we're making. Right. And the more competition that we really introduce into the, um, to the food and farming systems. But I know for me to be able to do that, that I can extract out a high, a high profit margin per pound. Right. I have to have a lower profit margin per pound in order to compete and I have to sell more volume. Right. Sure. And that's, again, going back to just being a, being, having good partnerships with, with our farmers is knowing, you know, they, because of the position they're in um, with their operation, you know, they need to move more product. And so for us to do that again, it's, it's saying, Hey, we're going to make less money per pound, but we're going to try to sell more. We're more competitive. And that's how we make our numbers work. Right. Uh, but that's a that's I won't say it's a very unique spot, but it's it's more of a unique position than what I would have imagined um, a few years ago. So yeah. Um, yeah. it's it's really just kind of not. I, I wish I would have earlier looked at 
um, the opportunities that we had instead of necessarily looking at maybe what another forum was doing and saying, well, they're doing that. So I should do that because they've been successful, but you take a pro athlete, you know, some pro athletes can, can play multiple sports and be really good at it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you take a pro basketball player and you put them on a baseball field, you know, they're a really good athlete. They just may not be, be good at that. And it's the same thing with farmers, yeah. right? Yeah. It, you may be a really, really good farmer. You just got to kind of figure out, you know, what field or court you should be playing on, you know, what, what, what is it supposed to look like for you? And so again, that, that, that's, that's how I feel about it, but I'm learning more every day. I, I, I certainly, you know, we, we don't, we don't have the answers around here, um, you know, to, to share with everybody. We're just, it's, it's just taking opportunities as they come to you and yeah. it's just trying to capitalize and, and really being, having the willingness to hustle and, and to chase down leads and to, to find a way to, to make things work. Timing is, man, it's, it's crucial with everything. So that's where your persistence comes in. If you're there and you wait for, for the time to work out and you're there when it's needed, then, you know, that's a, that's a big thing too. Um, so, and it may not be when you want it to, it may not happen near as fast as you want it to. Uh, it, it may be that, that you kind of got to wait out things. And, and when that opportunity does come along that you were persistent and, and at that point you can step in. But it, it's, you know, so many challenges out there. And, man, if I had all the answers to them, I would, I, I would love to share them. But, you know, again, it's, it's us learning every day and, and figuring out yeah. you know, how do we navigate this, how do, how do we do this, and how do we help others along the way. Yeah. No, I like that. Those are great thoughts. It made me think of the, what is the quote, luck is, luck is uh, when hard work meets opportunity. Uh, I mean, yeah. you, you may look like an overnight success, but it's been a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of grinding and, and, uh, and being there when the opportunities were there. And, and, and now you, you've, you've, uh, gotten to where you are and you're not done yet. You've got a big mission. You're, you're going to continue working towards I, I have no doubt. And, um, making a difference for more farmers that just, you know, want to be in this regenerative production world, but there's not a massive commodity system out there to just sell their products. Like, like everything else and stuff. So I, I, I'm excited for what you're doing. It's really cool. And I appreciate you coming on, but, uh, I'd be curious, you mentioned, uh, and I don't even remember what it was. I wanted to write it down, <laughs> but I didn't, uh, you mentioned a resource earlier. I don't remember what it was now. Um, but, uh, any other resources that you might have for recommendations for people to check out or listen to, I'll hear back when I, uh, when I edit this podcast and I'll try and throw it in the show notes, whatever you had mentioned earlier, unless you remember it now. Uh, I don't, I wish I did. No worries. Uh, yeah. Uh, man opening opening up your your mind and utilizing your resources you know that's that's one of the uh, somebody told me the other day you know we have so much technology at our fingertips and people spend time on facebook trying to figure out what type of vegetable they're supposed to be or something you know i mean yeah, and it, yeah, it's the like, quizzes. yeah <laughs> yeah one of those so it's like it's yeah. it's you no know, i mean <laughs> trying to, and I'm guilty, you know, I'll scroll some social media and, yeah. and like that every now and then, but it's really looking mm -hmm. at how do you, you've got the world at your fingertips. You can figure out anything, you know, you've got, mm -hmm. you know, uh, encyclopedias and, and everything else right there at, you know, it's a Google away. So, you know, really committing it to committing your time to, to just, you know, utilizing that. I, I don't because there's so many really good ones that are out there um, in North Carolina. We're fortunate, you know, we've got NC choices and, you know, we do some work with North Carolina state university um, for a swan operation. And so they've shared some resources with us. It's, it's really just keeping an open mind and, 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, instead of maybe rocking out while you're bush hogging, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, listening to, uh, to a couple podcasts or, yeah. you know, instead of, uh, scrolling Facebook, maybe, maybe watch some educational YouTube stuff and, and doing it that way. But yeah, we, we don't have to recreate anything in, in this mm-hmm. stuff. You know, we're, we're not really coming up with our own systems as farmers. We're really, somebody else is doing what most other farms would be doing out there mm-hmm. somewhere. And so just figuring out how, how does that best suit you in your model? Right. So yeah. if, if you keep digging, you'll find other farmers that are out there that, that are doing something that's, that, uh, that's going to be a great opportunity for you to capitalize on. Um, it's just, it's just searching. And again, you know, use, sure. use, your, use your phone as a resource and not as a, a way to, a way to waste time. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Heart. Nope. You're absolutely right. More information access at the finger, uh, at our fingertips with our cell phone than any book or anything out there, but, uh, just got to use it the right way. So no, good thought. Um, uh, how can people reach out or learn more about you, uh, if, if they're interested? So we're, uh, colfaxcreekforum.com. Um, again, we're about halfway between Asheville and Charlotte here in Western mm-hmm. North Carolina. Uh, we're on Instagram at Colfax Creek Farm. Uh, we're on Facebook. And, uh, so, you know, awesome. check out, our, check out our website. If, if people have questions, you know, I, I do want to be helpful to others. So, yeah. uh, shoot us an email, shoot us a message on social media, anything like cool. that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. You guys are doing some really cool stuff and it was great to hear your story. And, and I will have to get you on another time if you're interested uh, or willing to talk more about the production side, because I definitely got uh, off <laughs> onto the, the marketing end and the business side there that, uh, that really intrigues me. Um, but uh, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this and, and I, would, uh, I would enjoy doing another uh, episode in the future. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Faro Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Faro Cattle Company at farocattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.